When we say, I have decided to follow Jesus, there's much at stake. Even though you and I may never have to choose between following Christ and death of a loved one or even of self, we do have to count the costs. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that all we need to do is pray the sinner's prayer to receive Christ and then we just kick back until eternity. To the contrary, the Bible speaks frequently about our faith journey. And it speaks frequently about progressive sanctification, meaning becoming a disciple doesn't just happen by accident, it's progressive and it's lifelong. Today we're starting a new series called Discipled. Thanks for being here this morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 33. There should be a code that you can scan as well that takes you to YouVersion Bible app and there's uh, ushers coming down the aisle with Bibles. If you need one, just slip a hand up. They'll get one in your hands. We're gonna start in Matthew 6:33. So glad that you're here and those joining us online and those in traditions and those in kindred, different places of worship, one church. So throughout this series, we will be using the following definition. A disciple is one who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. So, you've decided to follow Jesus. For the next 10 weeks, we'll be asking the question, what are the indicators of someone who is growing in their faith? If you haven't had a chance already, I encourage you to pick one of these up. Uh, It's called Discipled, it's our life group um, guides for this series and all of our life groups will be doing the same series. They'll be doing the sermon series called Discipled for for 10 weeks, which if you're not in a life group, there's a place out at the information desk that you can sign up and join a life group. We encourage everyone to be a part of a life group, a growing community, a discipleship community. So we encourage you to do that, to, to have other people in your life that you're doing life with. If you're following along, here we go. If you wanna follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and live committed to the mission of Jesus, then the very first thing is this, then resolve your pursuit. In this life, we're all in pursuit. We're in pursuit of someone or something, and so the question we have to ask is, personally, is what is your pursuit? What is my pursuit? What are you pursuing? To make it through another day is a pursuit. To to live your best life now, to be happy, to make lots of money, to maybe you just wanna impress people or to be known and liked or leave a mark or, or to make an impact. To be honest, most of our pursuits, mine included, are so focused. Most of our pursuits have some sort of personal gain attached to them. But what if we had a pursuit that wasn't about us? Verse 33. Matthew six, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. This verse is more than just a standalone verse, a catchy verse, it's actually an answer or a directive to a much bigger issue in that passage of scripture and the issue is worry. When Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he was directing his listeners to to refocus their lives. He's directing us and challenging us to refocus our lives. And here's why. Because with earthly and self-focused pursuits comes worry. Every single time. He's not wrong, is he? 
The reason why is because when our top pursuits involve someone or something other than Jesus, worry quickly becomes our anxious response of feeling out of control. Every pursuit outside of Jesus invites us to control. Control leads to worry. So Jesus begins the passage by saying, do not worry about your life. If you go back and read, what you will eat, don't worry about what you're gonna drink, about your body, what you will wear. These things represent the pursuit of looks, image, and self-reliance. Who can add a single hour to his or her life through these pursuits? That's what he asks in this passage. Then he says in verse 31, so do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Pagans run after these things. Non-believers run after these things. People who are not discipled, people who aren't following Jesus, those are the people that run after all of these things. People who worry about their image and looks run after these things. But child of God, your pursuit must be greater than these things. When our top pursuits in this life have to do with relationships and prestige and power and money and recognition or looks or image and possessions. Following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, living committed to the mission of Jesus is not even on the radar because we're so distracted. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. The absolute key to our progressive sanctification is our pursuit. You have to resolve your pursuit. Until Jesus becomes our main pursuit, we will live life chasing all that cannot satisfy by giving up the only thing that can satisfy. Secondly, if you wanna follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus and live committed to the mission of Jesus, then secondly, talk with him. So we're gonna talk about prayer and then we're gonna talk about the word of God, Matthew 7, 7 through 12 in just a second. So often when we think of prayer and the word of God, we wonder, is God speaking? Does God ever speak to us? All of us at one time or another have something, have said something to the effect, I just want God to speak to me. You ever said that? Or, or I just want God to give me an answer. Tell me what to do. Tell me where to go. I just want to know that he's there. Give me a sign, right? This is nothing new for Vikings fans. God, are you there? No one prays more than a Vikings fan. And so we wonder, when his voice seems so distant, we wonder, is God even speaking into my life? Is he even aware of what's happening in my life? But what if we're asking the wrong question? What if instead of asking, is God speaking, we ask, am I listening? Because the truth is, God is speaking all of the time. How does God speak to us? God speaks to us through prayer, through the word of God, through people who are following him, and even through our circumstances. When he speaks, because he's always speaking to us, we certainly do not want to miss it. Listening is not always easy, is it? 
Our lives can get so busy, so loud, so distracting, and we can't hear him through all of the noise. There are so many things begging for our attention, and there are so many distractions. If you really want to hear what God is saying, we must learn how to cut through the noise. Is this somebody's phone? Does that make anybody else uneasy? <laughs> as soon as I hear that noise, I wonder, is that my phone going off? You can stop looking for your phone, that's, that's a prop. <laughs> we got phones buzzing and all these notifications coming in, but never in church, right? Sometimes text messages come in and then the phone rings. You wonder, who's calling me? And you know that there's no way you're going to ever answer because you're a normal human being and you don't want to hear another normal human being's voice. Who does that? And then I don't know about you, but in the morning, that phone alarm goes off. Some of you just woke up. Welcome to church. But it isn't just the calls and the texts and the alarms, you also hear social media notifications that remind you how valuable of a person you are, right? Announcing the likes and the clicks and while wondering, what did I miss? And don't forget about emails, right? Sit at your computer, can't miss those. And it's not just the technology. We get in the car and we're surrounded with all the street noise. Then we go to the stores. And on top of all the noise, we have relational drama, so many health issues. And it's so difficult to cut through all of the noise and all we want it to do is stop. There's so much noise, so much chaos in our lives, so many things begging for our attention. The question isn't why doesn't God speak to me? It's, am I listening? Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you'll give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So Jesus is continuing in this passage in Matthew, and the first thing he says is ask and it will be given to you. Again, we have to understand context. The position of this passage is perfect in that Jesus is now saying, everything that I just finished teaching you about, 
Everything can be yours through prayer, whether you desire wisdom or righteousness or humility, maybe you want sincerity or love for your enemies or intimacy with the Father or a pure heart and pure motives, or you want a radical heart change, all of those things are available to me. All we have to do is ask. This morning, um, even just kind of going, rehearsing this message, I found myself praying differently. While Jesus has already taught on different aspects of prayer, he now in the present tense stresses the importance of persistence in prayer, which implies the art of listening. One man said regarding prayer and one's willingness to ask, one may be a truly industrious man, a really hardworking man, and yet poor in temporal things, doesn't have much, but one cannot be truly praying man and yet be poor in spiritual things. Prayer, friends, guarantees us a level of fellowship and communion with God that can never be achieved otherwise. Jesus begins his teaching on prayer with three directives, and the first one, just ask. James echoes it in chapter four, verse two and three. He says, yeah, he says this, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, sometimes he says, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Prayer isn't about getting us what we want. It's a conversation, not a monologue. Certainly God wants to hear everything you have to say because he loves you deeply and he cares desperately about you. He wants to hear your confession, your struggles. He wants to hear about your, your suffering, your heart's desires. He wants to hear about your requests. He wants to know when you feel anxious, when you feel lonely, when you feel depressed. But keep in mind, in some cases, we don't have what God has for us because we don't ask. And much of what we do ask for, James says, we ask because it has us in mind. Remember, this is not a standalone text. This passage is directly connected with all the other teachings in Matthew chapter five through seven. Everything that Jesus offers his followers in these two chapters is made available to any child of his who's willing to ask. We're to ask God with an earnest sincerity for the things that he so desires to give us. We're to ask God with pure motives and not because it will somehow benefit us or, or elevate us or promote us over God. So what do we ask for? Do you ever find yourself so busy asking God for so many things that you don't seem to have the time maybe to ask God, God, uh, righteousness. I need humility. I need peace, I need sincerity. I'm having a hard time loving certain people. Would you help me? Forgiveness, wisdom, I need discernment. Those are the things that he promises to us. And the difference between kingdom living and earthly living often begins with how we pray. When we live for the here and now, we pray for what we want in the here and the now. But listen to this, when we live in the here and now, but not for the here and now, we pray for God what he wants for us in the here and now. I'm gonna say that again. 
When we live for the here and now, we pray for what we want in the here and now. When we live in the here and now, but not for the here and now, we pray for what God wants in the here and now. Changes our perspective completely. Imagine what would happen if we spent more time asking God to change our heart, to give us a new perspective, to teach us his ways, to show us his will, to help us love and forgive, to help us seek him above all else. Imagine. Verse seven says, ask and it'll be given to you. Ask me, he says. Some say asking is a sign of weakness. Guys get made fun of when we say to a group of friends, let me ask my wife, right? You ever notice that when kids reach a certain age, they think that they no longer need to ask. When Jesus says here, ask and you will receive, you need to know that it does put us in a place of weakness. But only the weak find God as their source of strength. Secondly, he says, seek, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Prayer is a matter of a believer seeking to know the heart of God and his ways. Knowing God, the way he desires to be known, involves having both faith and focus. It's a challenge and a reminder to seek the giver and not just the gifts. You've heard that before. By seeking the gifts and not the giver, we never really get to enjoy the fellowship that God wants to have with us. Our focus is more on what we can get from God than on how much more we can get to know the heart of God. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13 says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me, listen to this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus' second directive is to seek him wholeheartedly, and as we seek him, we are assured to find him. Third knock, he says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. So Jesus says, uh, to understand this, uh, the counter of it, Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, he says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So Jesus, we know from Revelation 3.20, continuously is knocking on the door of our heart in an attempt to get us to open the door to respond to him. Because if we respond by opening the door and come face to face with Jesus, he promises us fellowship with him. He never breaks down the door. He never forces himself on us. His persistent knock is an invitation for us to open the door. The passage today, however, is not about God knocking on the door of our heart. This passage is about us knocking on God's door. Why do we knock on any door? We knock out of respect, out of honor. We knock for admittance. We knock for permission. We knock to get attention. God says, knock and the door will be opened. A willingness to ask God shows a clear sign of humility and a clear understanding of our position. God is the giver of all things and he, want, and he waits expectantly to hear our voice. May we as individuals if you're married, maybe uh, as couples, 
May we as families, may we as a church learn to live dependent on God. Ask, seek, knock. Thirdly, if you want to follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and live committed to the mission of Jesus, then look to him. 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3 should be on the screen or in your bulletin. It says this, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. In the original text, verses two and three are a part of a long command that starts in verse one, which reads this. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Then it goes into like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. So so to follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, live committed to Jesus' mission as a born again believer, we should crave pure spiritual milk that will nourish and help us grow into maturity. The phrase spiritual milk points us to the word of God, which provides spiritual life to those who drink it, to those who eat it, to those who drink it, to those who read it. Milk for an infant provides nourishment. It it sustains life, provides growth. And the word of God comparatively does the same for a follower in Christ. I want you to hear this statement, and um, it is impossible to grow in spiritual maturity without the Word of God. It is the source for life. The analogy of newborn babies is not intended to suggest infancy as a believer. There are other passages that talk about that. Peter was using it as imagery for the growth of a believer. We are to crave more and more of God's word in the same way that a baby wants milk. What what does the Bible say about itself? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God, the word of God teaches us the way to live. It redirects our steps and builds us up by equipping us and preparing us for a life of righteousness that God has called us to. The truths of God's word have stood the test of time. Proverbs 30 verse five says this, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. James one says this about the word of God. Do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We seek him not only by seeking his fingerprints all over creation and human life, we seek him through his inspired, God-breathed word written to us and for us. This is the voice of God by which the Holy Spirit illuminates and through which we seek him and know him. God's voice 
and your thoughts are not the same. Unless your thoughts have been shaped by God's voice. Let's continue to grow together. Let's encourage one another. Let's, let's gently redirect one another. Let's pray together and for one another. Let's study the word together and share with each other what God is teaching us. Let's all have a Paul in our lives that's just ahead of us on the journey that, that we're looking to, that we can learn from. Let's all have a Timothy that's behind us that we are pouring ourselves into in discipling. If you want to follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, live committed to the mission of Jesus, then resolve your pursuit, talk with him, look to him. How do we grow in the area of prayer and the reading of God's word? Some of what I'm gonna share here in the next two minutes might rattle some of you just a bit, especially if you've been in the church a long time, you've been a believer for a while. In his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear talks about forming habits. He suggests habits are not formed through giant steps. They're formed through tiny steps that eventually lead to bigger steps. That's my interpretation. What does this have to do with growing as a disciple of Christ? Everything. You know, you might leave here and you're like, oh, Pastor Andy's right, man, that was convicting, I gotta go home. Tomorrow morning, I'm gonna spend 30 minutes in prayer and then I'm gonna spend 30 minutes reading the word of God. Have you ever tried that? How about tomorrow morning, you start with one minute, one minute. Pray for one minute, read the word of God for one minute. I know it's hard for some of you to hear that. I'm talking about just starting, okay, a place to start. And you do that every day for seven days. And then week number two, two minutes a day, every day. A habit is not established by failed extremes. It is established through consistency. The next seven days, every day, pray for one minute, read God's word for one minute, and then go to two minutes, and then go to three minutes, and then go to four, you get the idea. And before you know it, so first establish a habit, a habit of seeking God through prayer and through the word. Once a habit is established, the presence of God through prayer and his word, as you are in it, because you're creating this habit, will stir you to a deeper longing, a greater hunger. Because a habit leads to substance. Let me leave you with one thing. Every action you take is a vote for the person you wish to become. James Clear. Jesus says this, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Father, we thank you for um, this morning. We thank you for this series, Discipled. And Lord, as we're looking at these indicators, uh, they're, they're not indicators that are like, oh, I do all these things and, and now I'm a disciple. 
these are just indicators that demonstrate that we, are, we have a deeper hunger and a deeper thirst and that we're growing. This progressive sanctification is working. We're moving towards you, not away from you. Nor are we idle. Lord, would you help us, give us the strength to establish a habit. And I know that there are many people here that are like, I, I try reading the word of God, I try praying. Um, but Lord, what if we just started with a tiny step? We just acknowledge that you're there, that we long to hear from you. We set aside all of the distractions and all the noise of life. We start reading your word and Holy Spirit, would you, would you just serve so deeply that we have a longing with each new day because you're working in us and we're seeing the impact of it and the transformation. In Jesus' name, amen.